it's easy to make good choices when you have good insights, right? Well, AppSlyer's open platform provides the measurement, analytics, engagement, and fraud protection technologies you need to get the answers to all of your questions and make good choices for your business and customers. Is customer privacy important for you? Good. With AppSlyer, you can accurately measure your marketing while protecting customer privacy. Bringing in new customers is great. Getting accurate insights while protecting your customers' privacy is even better. AppSlyer's privacy-preserving measurement and cost aggregation technologies give you insights you can count on across channels, platforms, and devices. And here's something we all agree on. When it comes to the marketing, you should only pay for what works. AppSlyer's incremental lift testing makes it easy to make good choices for your marketing budget through accurate, unbiased insights into the true value of your marketing outcomes. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to AppSlyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do, do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. We pretty much use just about every single product that uh, Iron Source offers. We're, we're completely integrated with the platform. Of course, the mediation products, all ad, ad products, and the company that can assist us in doing UA and monetization and all the uh, additional products that come along with it. It takes a lot of uh, headache away from us. It takes a lot of the hard, busy work off of our hands, having a kind of an all-in-one platform. You just heard Andrew Stone. He's the CEO at Random Logic Games, who use Iron Source's platform to grow their games in the smartest way possible. If you want to grow like Random Logic, you can get the SDK on Iron Source's website. That's ironsrc.com. Hey folks, and welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast this week in games, episode 152. Today we have three of us. Uh, we got always Eric on, so Eric Crest is here. We got Adam Telfer. Uh, Eric Suford is out today. So our content on the marketing and growth side is going to be a little bit of a little, little light, but we're going to still cover it. <laughs> and the articles today, uh, Eric Crest, of course, of course, is going to talk about an MMO. So New World <laughs> launched, I think, one, one of the biggest games. He could finally get out of, uh, what were you playing? You were playing Final Fantasy for a while? Yeah, that didn't last long, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, good. Like, he's finally out of Final Fantasy into the New World. Uh, and then, Adam, Adam, what are you going to talk about today? Uh, the Washington Post article on fingerprinting. Fingerprinting? Okay, great. Great not to have Eric Suford here while we're going to talk about fingerprinting. And then... Feedback from last episode, 
was that stop talking about loot boxes and all the regulatory stuff. <laughs> so I was like, why don't we cover UK cracks down on in-game ads and microtransactions? <laughs> Just to, we listen to the feedback and we double down on what you guys don't want to hear. And not, not they don't want to hear, like, but let, don't want us to talk about. Let's be clear here. Like the, his problem is that we, the more we talk about it, more what the regulators are going to pay attention to it. Like we have any influence on regulators, you know? <laughs> Well, well, the good thing is when our listeners listen to this podcast, they, they think that it's much bigger than it is. And they think that if I'm listening to this, then everybody's listening to this. And for sure, regulatory powers are listening to the Constructor Fun Podcast. Don't worry. No, no, well, I can't say this, but I don't think that anybody who works in a regulatory function listens to the Constructor Fun Podcast. I'm pretty sure about that. So only people in the games industry. So we can talk about this stuff. Uh, <laughs> and and also, even if they would, I, I don't think that they would listen to us and like, huh, I heard this on the Deconstructor Fun podcast. I think we need to rethink our approach on regulatory action. <laughs> I think politicians shouldn't listen to this, to be honest. Yeah. Just to get the industry take on all this stuff, right? <laughs> That's true. We're like a lobbyist for the industry. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we have a more nuanced perspective than a lot of the legislation coming up. But anyway. so, um, so how was your weekend? How was my weekend? Is that what the question was? Mm -hmm. Dude. So I, I would tell a personal story and it's not, uh, and it's not anything related to gaming, but I just wanted to like throw it out there. I have a 14 year old daughter, right? And she's her freshman year in high school and she's going to her first dance. And so I took responsibility for her and four of her friends that are all dressed to the nine and they're going to a pre-party, then they're going to a dance and then they're going to an after party, right? And I am holding on for dear life to my poor, my daughter, right? Because she's just moving away from me faster than I can. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an uphill battle. I'm going to lose this fight, but I'm going to keep fighting. Right. And so at the, uh, I picked them up at the dance and I took them to the Tenderloin. And I don't know if everyone knows San Francisco, the Tenderloin is one of the worst neighborhoods in San Francisco. I mean, it is like drug dealers, drug hookers, like the whole thing, like inner city stuff. Right. And I'm on this corner dropping them off at this, this apartment that's beautiful building within this mess of, of the Tenderloin. And you have to understand this corner, there are three liquor stores on the four corners, right? That, that's how bad this place is. All kinds of crazy people running around and these little darlings are walking around in this muck. So that's not the story, right? The story is I'm sitting there in this the car and I have like an hour to wait. And I'm, I'm just being this like idiot right out there. And I tenderloin. Yes. And I have to pee for an hour. Yes. I have to pee. I have to pee really bad. And there's in the tenderloin, you're not going to find a restroom, public restroom, right? Never. Right. Not in that neighborhood. So I'm like, what do I do? You do what all men do. You look at the cups that you have at your disposal, <laughs> do your deed. Right. So as anyone knows, that's in this situation, this is a very delicate operation. Right. So I turn on my light, which is shining down at the my package and I start. I look around to make sure no one's around, but I knew that there were some people next door earlier, but I, I didn't see them. So I do my deed and I did it meticulously. Perfect. Flawlessly, <laughs> right? I screw in the cap. I put it up on my dashboard. I turn my head and this guy is staring straight at me, straight at me from the store. He's like looking at me like, oh my God, what is this guy doing? Because it could be anything. I could be doing heroin. <laughs> I could be getting services. I, it could be anything. Right. And I'm like, Oh my God, he's going to call the cops. And he's talking to his friend. Like he's going to call the cops. So I'm like, I can't get arrested. I, I can't leave my daughter in this place. Right. 
So I pick up the cu- cup, I show him the cup, and I and I wave at him, and he's like, ah, and he got it, and and, and that was it. So I sat there for another forty five minutes waiting for my daughter. So that's my story. These are the lengths that I will go to protect my baby girl. That's the that's the moral of the story. And when you have a girl that's fourteen, you will do the same. I promise you. That's the story. All right, that's it. But then you don't live in the inner city, right? So no. why is there dances in the inner city? No, the dance yeah. was at the at the, at, the, at the high school. But then this after party was in the middle of like the muck. You know, I, I don't understand. I don't understand why anybody would live in that place if you have all that money, right? It was a beautiful apartment, evidently, penthouse. But anyway, that's the the technical is a whole other yeah. story about Section Eight and all that other stuff. I don't want to like get into the politics of it all, but like nonetheless, that's the story. All right. The, uh, wow. Okay. So <laughs> we start. Let me okay, go. So <laughs> the first correction I have to do is that there's a huge screw up on my part, right? I, I don't think I've made a, a, a mistake like this before that I can think of that was so, so stupid, stupid, really. So I use Arsenal as an example of a dumbed down version of a game because of auto chess mode, which is absolutely moronic, right? That's actually, it's, it's almost the opposite, really, because Hearthstone is an exception to a rule of free-to-play to some degree is that they don't have the super deep spending mechanisms in place, but they have a huge success in the market because of the loyal fans of, of Blizzard and, and, the, and the game design itself, right? And so, anyway, so I, I was completely off, off on that one, right? And then after getting a freaking, you know, message from the d- design director of Hearthstone, which is interesting, <laughs> you know, I, I remember that actually auto chess helped them stave off the declines to some degree because it, it brought people back and got people more spending. They, they never recovered from, from the highs before, but it actually staved off the, the churn that they were seeing at the time. And I don't know what the, I don't know how I missed that because I, I was covering this pretty closely at the time. So anyway, I just basically misremembered the whole thing in the moment, but, uh, and sorry to the Hearthstone team, but, um, but my point still remains is that you can't, you know, De, uh, de-emphasize monetization mechanics in, in games and hope to be successful because that's what drives lots of many games, but that has nothing to do with Hearthstone. All right. So there's my, my, yeah. Overall, it was good feedback on the selection. I actually really, really appreciate it. Um, because, um, this is my point of view. Um, definitely depth is often, um, um, ignored or, or the long-term impacts of reducing depth are always clear. Um, but the rebuttal was that, you know, depth can obviously swing too far and you can end up in a, in a situation where you just have a niche game and in order to reach the top grossing, you obviously have to balance accessibility, depth, and their relationship to fun. And overall, like, of course, I'm agreed with this. I think to reach scale, it is a balancing game. You need to have games that are accessible. Um, but my point is mainly when sort of game designers have a tendency to lean too heavily on accessibility with the goal that accessibility will reduce CPI, will increase the funnel so much that the trade-off between accessibility and depth is worth it. And I find that um, a lot of the time developers and designers don't understand that relationship. And when you look at things like improving day 30, I'm not even talking about spend up, I'm just talking about improving day 30 plus um, decay, right? Keeping that flat line flat, that is always a better trade-off than improving your day one. Um, but obviously it is a balancing act and you've obviously swing too far in either direction. So it was good discussion. 
All right, let's jump in into the uh, the update. So, uh, by the way, keep up the uh, the feedback coming. Whether you're giving us feedback on the on the Slack channel, or whether you're sending direct feedback through multiple channels that we're getting feedback through, you know, the Messenger, the WhatsApp, LinkedIn, all of those work. Just just keep the feedback coming, and we'll cover it. If you want us to cover it in this session, a lot of feedback is also what you guys don't want us to to cover, and we keep quiet about that. Anyway. Um, my couple of feet, uh, updates. So we did a podcast with Antti Hattara from Starberry Games. Uh, he talked about launching, um, not launching, he talked actually about scaling a merge game. And as we know, literally the merge merge games sector has been, or subgenre has been going crazy. There's a bunch of articles talking about how to launch a merge game in about eight weeks. Every VC has at least five different merge companies in their portfolio. And what has been challenging is not really launching or making this type of a game, but it's been really challenging to scale one of those games. And, and Antti Hattar, I mean, uh, Adam knows Antti really well, your former co-founder in, in the, uh, in the previous, previous company that was then turned into a Starberry games. Uh, you had a very, very good team with a lot of people who had previous experience from Wooga, especially from the Wooga's puzzle studio. So you guys really knew how to, you know, what does it mean to scale a game? And now Antti is, is, you know, he's, he's in a position where he has actually a team that can scale up uh, a casual game. And it has taken him a year to get to this position where the game's actually scaling every week. And it is a slow start, but it is, it's gradually getting better week after week. So it's really happy to see that happening uh, to Antti and as well as to, to have him on the podcast talk about scaling a game in such a competitive genre. Yeah, full disclosure, of course, I'm an investor in this company being co-founder previously. So, um, with that caveat, it is the greatest team out there. And absolutely <laughs> this, this game is going to take off. Dude. Uh, great to see the metrics. Dude, chilling. It's like a disease, dude. It's like, it, it, hey, it's I rather get chill like once a year. This is my ship. Okay. <laughs> Listen, you want us to be your investor We're like, what better is to have us investing into your company than us talking about it on the podcast. So no, no, for sure. Like I've known Antti for what, uh, maybe 13 years. So really happy to see his company scaling up and I'll actually see Antti in real life this Sunday for dinner. Cause I'm going to Berlin anyways, on to the, uh, the next, next piece of news. So, uh, iOS 15 and Apple's new social media marketing tool. So this came in last week. And we actually had a CEO of Geek Lab uh, write a little summary into the uh, Deconstructor Fund newsletter. So he talked about the iOS app store undergoing a significant change as a result of iOS 15. So downloaded apps will not be displayed in the search view with just the icon, will now be displayed with just the icon, title, subtitle, and open button, no screenshot or app preview videos. So there's clear images for that. But even now, if you search for something, it will be just small on the top if you have that game and not like a big one. Uh, to me, this really looks like Apple is trying to encourage users to install more apps via search ads by decreasing the appeal of already installed titles. You know, it's hard to say how impactful this will be, uh, but for sure it will have some kind of impact because the game that you already have is not looking nearly as appealing that the game or the apps that you don't have. Uh, and then regarding Apple's social marketing tools, so you can you can use the tool to create four different types of ads, promoting a new app, informing about an app update, promoting a subscription offer, and promoting a new offer. Change of creative type modified modifies the copy as well as the background visual to fit the campaign type. In addition, the creative type you have 
you have three different background colors to choose from. You also have the option of changing the language, which will change the copy of the creatives. You know, while this, the tool is nothing more than, uh, than what a, any graphic designer could accomplish in about five minutes, it for sure can be useful for a lot of very small independent developers to, to try to tweak what, what they're doing. Um, if you have a small team and you don't have a graphical designer, of course, this is not, not, not something that any mid to large size team would use. Um, the tool itself overall is quite bare bone compared to the solutions offered by different third parties. Uh, but I think that along with the upcoming product page optimization, it kind of suggests that Apple is moving towards, you know, helping developers and marketers to accomplish more through Apple's tools. Um, it's a, it's an interesting move. It's, it's nothing radical. I don't think this is going to change much, but I hope that this definitely shows the developers the value of your app store optimization, because there is a tremendous value to that. And it's not a lot of work. So, you know, anybody interested in app up in app store optimization, look for Apple services or third-party services like, like geek lab. Um, all right, moving to the final piece. Oh, no, actually I have two pieces. So just added here. I saw that Newzoo released an article and if Newzoo released an article, I have to cover it on Twig. Just, just for the trigger effect. So you can't, you can't add this last minute without me even taking a look at it, but uh, go ahead. No, this was a, this was a small one. So Newzoo is projecting the global mobile gaming market to surpass 116 billion in 2024. So today it released the 2021 global mobile market report saying direct consumer spending on mobile gaming around the world will see a 11.2, very, very concrete number, compound annual growth rate from 2019 through 2024. And it kind of goes to show that in 2019, we had about almost 70 billion of, of total revenues. Then in 2020, when everybody got locked down, it went to 87. So tremendous bump. Then 2021 actually grew. I was expecting this to decrease in 2021, but no, with the COVID prolonged, it grew from 87 to 91. And then they kind of skip a couple of years and just go directly to 2024 and say, you know, everything is going to be booming and mobile market will grow. So uh, interesting, interesting point. I will definitely check out the, the report. What I love about NewZoo is they are bullish AF every time. Like everything about gaming is up, up, and up, up. Dude, and that's good news. That's good That's news. what they get paid for, man. That's what they get paid for, for all the venture. But I love it, but it is true, though. It is true. No, it is. It is growing. Yes. I, I, I do think, though, that we shouldn't underestimate the impact of all this uh, privacy stuff that's going on and how that may mm -hmm. impact revenue over the longer term. But uh, but it's it's really hard to say right now. But um, but I, I don't have any issues with these forecasts. This particular yeah. forecast It's just. All right. Yeah. All right. Now, let's take a little break from all these news and talk about consultants. You know, one of my biggest triggers in gaming is consultants. These big firms think they can manage game making with PowerPoints. They are literally the destroyers of studios. Don't get me wrong. It's not that these folks aren't smart. They're some of the smartest and highly educated people in the world, but they lack two key things, passion for games and industry experience. To put it simply, they lack context. One area that context is absolutely critical is consumer insights. As the name implies, you are trying to understand your customer and gain keen insights by asking the right questions. Without the right context, it's almost impossible to be successful. The big CI firms fall into the same trappings. Just because a firm has gamers on staff doesn't mean they know how to 
what it takes to build and ship successful games. You need to work in the industry to really understand the challenges and agony that studio and marketers have to go through to bring a product to market. That's why I recommend Beta Hat. Stan Kwan and his team at Beta Hat have deep experience in the industry that provides the context needed for actionable insight. Stan's own experience includes 15 years within the gaming industry leading strategic functions at EA, GameSpot, and Ubisoft. Other research firms package up gaming and entertainment bucket or use like these old methods from packaged goods industries. Gaming is different. For game CI, you need to understand what people play, where people play, how they play, and why they play. You need to understand console, mobile, free-to-play, software as a service, subscription models. Whether it's consumer segmentation, brand tracking, concept testing, conjoint analysis, or focus testing, Stan and his team have the context to deliver exceptional insights into the gaming customer. Please reach out to Beta Hat by visiting their website at betahatmr.com. That's B-E-T-A-H-A-T-M-R.com. Now, back to the episode. Nuzu, you got it. I just, wish, I just wish some of these forecasts would include how it performed versus previous, as well a error rate, right? Like an error mark. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, you can't be... 110% sure that it's going to be 160, right? Um, put in your error bars, look at performance previously, keep us honest, because if, if people are, are making decisions based on this data, it's better at least that you provide a range of outcomes so they can better kind of stack their assumptions. Cause you know, every single pitch deck will start using these numbers better to use a range than it is to say that this is an absolute number. Mm. Yeah. Good, good feedback. And final one, like I always search for something Finland related. If, if you haven't noticed this, there has to be a Finland related, related, uh, ending to my updates. So, uh, public service announcement, Supercell is an open position for product people. Uh, they call this business and operations lead, and they kind of go to a lengthy form to discuss, to describe this as being a COO and a CFO to the CEO and the CEO being a game lead. So. Of course, we could just say that this is a product director position uh, or head of product position, which exists. And the CEO position is really the game, like the game lead is what an executive producer or a game director or, or so forth. But anyways, they are such a massive company and so successful that they can come up with any terms uh, they want for these positions. But this is a head of product position because in this position, you will own the full loop of the game's financials and operations starting off with high-level business planning and financial strategy, the global marketing strategy, and cost management through the monetization and live-off strategy and actual execution. So when you go through this, you have to do a lot of work. Like in any other company, you would have a little gang of PMs, everybody with an MBA from an Ivy League, and you would be kind of leading them. Here, relax. You won't have anybody. You will do this alone, but you will get paid for it. So Anybody who wants to get their hands dirty and wants to live on the North Pole, come on over to Helsinki. <laughs> you know, great company being able to be in a position of power like this and, you know, lead from within to, to help this company kind of lead live operations. It's a great opportunity. Is this for one game or is this for like the portfolio? I, I think this is for each of the game because they, they talk about being a CEO and CFO. Okay. Who, yeah, of the game. Yeah. So I think they're going to hire this to multiple positions because to my understanding, they've been already trying this and it has had tremendous success because they do have a business lead for a clash. I think it's a clash franchise. So this person might take either Royale or uh, it might take Clash of Clans. And to my understanding, they never filled up the lead position for Clash Royale that they were searching for. 
Mm. Uh, and instead it, it's been kind of covered by the Clash of Clans team is kind of handling both products at the moment. So I, so the way I, way I understand this is that this is hearsay. I don't know anything. Don't listen to me. I'm just saying whatever <laughs> comes to my head, but to my understanding, uh, the, the model is moving more towards now having like these double heads. So you have the CEO as a game lead, but now you have actually a, uh, um, product head of product next to you to handle all the other stuff while the, uh, the game lead focuses on actually the vision for the game and pushing it forward and becoming the bigger. And then you have this person next to you. So I think this is a smart change to the model. And, uh, I, I think it will, it has already bared benefits and I think this will further help their live op games. Absolutely. All right. Moving, moving on. Yep. Eric's pissed. Okay. Let's go talk about something better. Pokemon Unite. Right, Eric? Ready? <laughs> um, 17 million downloads, 17.3, according to Sensor Tower. Um, so far, you know, it's been days, um, 16 sets RPI so far, but uh, we'll see if this takes off. Let's see if RPI starts growing quickly, because um, that's the, the Timmy formula. Yeah, I mean, this looks like it's going right out of the Timmy playbook, you know, get as many people playing as possible, then maybe push monetization after. But overall, it doesn't look too promising from my perspective, but... Um, I don't know. I, if this game can't be successful, I don't think any MOBA can be. So, but I never thought a MOBA could be from the beginning. So, next. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's keep tracking it. Uh, Netflix has acquired Oxen Free developer Night School Studio. Um, so, if you don't know them, uh, they're an indie dev um, basically building like branch narrative games. Oxen Free was uh, you know, fine for an indie, was an 80 minute critic. Sold about 1.5 million copies according to their GDC presentation. Um, so in my opinion, this is now, you know, Netflix looking more like Apple Arcade than it is to say an Xbox Gate Desk. So, you know, will this just be a whole bunch of indie darlings together with Netflix IP, including some of their VR experiments? Um, and more importantly, really, will Eric Kress have a new trigger word on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I no, I think again, I'm just gonna reiterate. I think this is actually a really good thing for Netflix to do. This is where it should be, right? It's part of a broader subscription. Um, and they can waste tons of money making games that hardly anybody plays, but that helps them do what they need to do, right? So go go for it. Actually, I have some lots of friends that are actually moving over there, so I should be able to get some some insights. Yeah, and by the way, just to get Eric triggered, I believe that Netflix has a bunch of hyper-casual games as well. It's <laughs> like a trio of members-only casual They're games. They're not doing Italy play. They're not doing advertising, so you could stick it. Hyper-casuals, it looks like it's shooting hoops, teeter up. This is hyper-casual stuff. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 you're right. Eating that <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, New World. Oh, are we at, we're, at, we're at stories right now, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, finally, after what? Has it been 12, 15 years? Amazon released from the gate? This is like a miracle, right? <laughs> so the New World launched, and I have to admit, it's doing pretty well so far. I, I, I have my doubts about people, whether people stick it out, but it's actually a pretty good game. Um, they fixed a lot of the issues that were in alpha, beta, uh, and it was like the most, game, most played game in 2021. And... Uh, at the time when it was written, this thing was written, it was like almost 700,000 people playing, which, uh, which, you know, Valheim was the second one that reached like 500,000. So, so far, so good. You know, the game is out. It seems relatively stable. I've been playing a little bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, overall 
I think uh, this will be a good entry and perhaps, you know, like hurt World of Warcraft a little bit as people try this for a while, but I don't know how much staying power it will have. Uh, the second update, I actually, rather than stories, I just did three product updates because I couldn't find any stories that were interesting. So uh, Catan shut down. So Pokemon Go developer Niantic is shutting down the augmented reality game Catan World Explorers. Um, so this was like an AR adaption of the uh, popular board game. Um, but, uh, but this game did not find any success. So Niantic continues to struggle to replicate the success of Pokemon. We've had Jurassic World, which did about 75 million. The Walking Dead game did like 32. And then Harry Potter Wizards Unite did about 24. Um, so the only game that's done well in this category was not a Niantic game, was uh, Dragon Crest Walk in Japan, which still is doing 20 million a month and has hit 800 million. But that's only in Japan. So again, I think Niantic is continuing to try to find, try to bite away of making this game work for other IPs or or um, or or modify the gameplay to to create something unique, but I'm not really too sure if they're ever going to find the success. Not even close to the success they saw with Pokemon Go. Um, so so that will be interesting to see um, how they evolve it going forward. Um, the other one is that Zynga announced that Farmville Three for mobile is coming, and this was just a press PR piece, but I just wanted to cover this again. I think we've talked about it before. Um, clearly, this bit. This must be a record, right? In terms of beta, this thing has been in beta for over two years, right? Two years and a few months, right? Dawn of Titans was in beta forever as well back in the day, but that was only a year and a half, I think anyway. So my point here is that like this thing has been tested and, and worked on for so long, right? But looking at the Great Britain data, uh, which was, I, I think it was the last build of this game was in Great Britain. Uh, it just doesn't look like the spending depth is there. There's not enough content or just churn is hurting this game because the revenue is just not holding up. It doesn't seem to be stacking. So in some sense, it feels like they're just kind of like releasing this into the wild, hoping to recoup some of the insane amounts of dev costs this has been apt to have because it's been in development for like, I don't know, five years. I don't know. You know, Mishka, I think. Um, but it really doesn't look like this game is going to scale and do what they want it to do. Uh, it looks kind of a, a, a of a miss, but we'll, We'll we'll see how it how it go does in um in uh release. Looks like a hit to me. <laughs> shut your mouth, dude. Be objective for Craig's sake. <laughs> Just shut your so book sixty. <laughs> you're saying about the Great Britain that's a book sixty RPI, um versus kind of contemporary games of the genre should be well over two, right? But and it's also coming down. Like the revenues are already coming down you know, with these new users, it, it just looks like a shark fin. The same as SimCity was, right? Like it's going to do, it's going to do decently. It's not, it's not, it, sorry, it's not a disaster. It's just not, it's not going to scale and maintain audience the way some of these other older, you know, school, uh, Heyday and, and, and Township, et cetera, have done. But I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I, I think Zynga's in real trouble right now, frankly, um, just in general. But uh, they just have nothing in the pipeline that could generate revenue. <laughs> like grow revenues, but uh, we'll see. Let's take a little break and talk about how to boost your live ops. Now, we all know that you need great people and fantastic tools to get the most out of your live games. And I'm sure you got the people part covered, but how fantastic your, your tools truly are. Well, listen, if your game is made with Unity, you need to check out Beamable. 
Beamable is like an operating system for live games built in Unity. Beamable simplifies everything from updating your game to selling all those cool in-game items with special offers. And when it comes to live events and competitive features like leaderboards, Beamable got you covered. And Beamable is not only for your product folks, with visual prefabs for Unity and the ability to keep you all to keep all your server code in C sharp means life is simpler for your programmers, and most importantly, you'll get to the market faster. If much lower cost of development and efficiency of operations is your jam, then Beamable is your toast. Go to beamable.com because deconstructor of fun told you so. Okay. Um, so let's go on to my article. Unfortunately, um, Super could join us today, but um, let's go through it anyways. Um, so the article is from the Washington Post, uh, titled, When You Ask App Not to Track, Some iPhone Apps Keep Snooping Anyways. So the Washington Post article really breaks down how apps, even after you say no on the ATT pop-up, will continue to track you anyways. Um, the article shows how apps like Subway Surfers still ends up sending data to services like Chartboost, which, while not perfect in aggregate, end up being a close enough to a unique device information enough to track you across apps and games. And the software company uh, who's providing the, all this data and insights to um, Washington Post is called Lockdown. Um, oh, so right. just to give some context here, like this is an app like, that helps you remove tracking across, across apps. So. Um, their software is, I'm guessing, something like a VPN or something that prevents you. So th they're in the business of uh, making sure that everybody's aware of how much tracking goes across games. Um, and really, basically, like the, they're recording the volume and the URLs of backend calls from the top apps so they can put together this analysis. So when they look at something like subway surfers, the volume of analytics calls and the number of calls to third parties hasn't really changed. You're still sending out the same number of calls to service like Trackboost. Although I think this kind of misses the point of what happened with IDFA and ATT. Uh, this, this did actually say force developers to stop tracking you whatsoever, right? Or even reduce the number of calls that they're sending. All that IDFA ATT has done is remove the unique identifier, um, making so that games cannot track you across apps. This does not remove game developers' ability to simply track you for diagnostic reasons or track you using this anonymized ID. So really, this article lists out all the information that an aggregate could track you across apps. So these things are like your device name, accessibility settings, screen resolution, currency, iOS version, audio output, country, cellular carrier, carrier, iPhone model, IP address. So you could see, right, in aggregate, if you add all these things together, a developer or, part, or third party like Chartpoost could sum all these up and use probabilistic models to try to connect your data between apps. So obviously, ATT and IDFA deprecation have made a difference to markets. Fingerprinting is just the response to it. They take away the ID. And Chartboost will use, well, Chartboost, really any developer will use all the data that we have available to track you even probabilistically across games to get back to as close to full attribution as possible. The question now is whether Apple will actually crack down on this further, right? It's now gotten to the point that it's in a Washington Post article um, and removing some of these metrics to reduce the accuracy could be in the, in the cards. And actually, the post actually went to our boy, Eric, for his opinion. I don't know if he got the permission, 
but there's quotes here right from Sufer. Um, Apple has not done anything to stop it, so every company moved in to do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't know they had That's really funny. Yeah, so I'm assuming they got his permission. Anyways, will Apple step in and start doing something about the fingerprint? Or has Apple really gone far enough with privacy that they can keep the public opinion, but stop short of, say, a privacy arms race with developers and third parties? No, no as, I, I, we said this before. As, as far as I understand it, the Apple terms of service do not allow for fingerprinting. It's being done against the terms of service that they've outlined, you know, for iOS 15 and 18, what are all this other stuff that they're doing? So the, the notion is that it is very likely that they're going to do the private relay they did for Safari in iOS 15. They're going to do for the entire, um, uh, uh, the phone, uh, in iOS 16, which should come out in the first half of next year. Right. And that will, I don't know what the technology behind it, rotating IPs or spoofing. I don't know, man. It's all this techno mumbo jumbo, but. At the end of the day, it should be putting all these cheaters to, to bed, right? In the sense that they won't be able to track IPs anymore. They won't be able to do attribution from that sense. So they'll be shooting blind like uh, like uh, Google and Facebook at this point. So um, so that's uh, what Smart Eric would likely have said if he was here. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> we'll have to get his take on it next week. But um, yeah, that's what I think is going to happen is that iOS 16 should see a VPN, the private relay, come to more holistically block people uh from but, but the ads. the relay system is still a premium service unlocked behind um iCloud right iCloud plus yeah but they could again they could bring it to uh the phone itself right so you're thinking by iOS 16 but yep. by next year they would just give it for free to everybody who has an Apple phone yep oh um, my god because that that's, they, that they that's just good. control the entirety of internet traffic from what the largest device providers in the world? Yeah, I, that's what I think is going to happen. That, that's the only way they could police it because they can't police yeah. it from from a, because it's, it's peer to peer or server to server. I mean, like, so I don't know. Yeah, that's that's the way I understand. Which way from my okay. uh, lack, we need Eric out here. Eric out. Like, to, 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 to <laughs> but I, but I, I think we all agree to that. Yeah, I think I think, <laughs> but I think Eric said the same thing to me. So I'm like, I'm I'm just kind of repeating what he said. So. <laughs> But we'll see when he gets back. He'll probably be listening to this like, oh my God, he's a moron. All right, moving on. Yeah. Yeah, it's great that we cover the uh, the fingerprinting as well as this uh, regulatory UK cracks down on in-game ads and microtransactions just when the, uh, the smart area is out. So, all right. If you think that marketing is hard, let's talk about monetization. So the UK's advertising standards authority has released new updated guidance on how game developers and publishers should and shouldn't advertise in-game premium currency and other purchases. Pushing back, so what they're pushing back is against in-game timers, labels such as best value, and more. For games that contain premium currency only available via real-world dollars, the ASA wants advertisement and pop-ups to include a real-world dollar value. So an ad offering to sell you a new weapon for, let's say, 500 gems would have to include an actual dollar amount too. And that's not enough. If this ad appears in the game, then ad must reflect how many gems or coins you currently have, how many you'll need to get the item, and how much will that cost? Well, that's a lot of information. So the ASA is the self-regulatory agency of the advertising industry in the UK. 
Now, ASA isn't able to interpret or enforce legislation or fine companies that break ASA guidance. It can refer serious offenders to other regulators with stronger powers in the UK and the group's rules largely line up with the UK law. So it's not clear really what the impact is outside UK since guess what? UK is not even part of European Union anymore. <laughs> but the short-term impact like for this to come into action, if it would come to action, is twofold. To one, of course, this will affect conversion a little bit. Not the most crucial thing to put in the best offers, but nevertheless, we use these type of elements to highlight different offers to, to you know, guide player purchase behavior to a certain direction, and that increases conversion to some extent. Not major. Of course, the game economy is the one that does it, but to some extent. The second impact would be the impact on average purchase size. Because if you essentially only allow direct purchases, you're not kind of going back to the gem page and getting that little bit of a larger package that has that highlighted offer on top of it. Uh, and then you kind of end up purchasing a little bit more premium currency that you were maybe looking for. That, of course, has an impact on average purchase size. So these two combined would maybe have some kind of an impact on monetization. The same group was also advocating that games with loot boxes should have a warning notification on like when you start playing them. So I'm just kind of questioning, like, why is this happening? Because, you know, as a player, now I'm only talking about as a player, not even a developer. I find free to play games absolutely fantastic. I mean, they allow me to play a game for free to try a game for free and, and enjoy it. And instead of, you know, I have a bunch of games that I bought in Steam that I've played less than I've played most of the free-to-play games because they were garbage. They were sold to me and I really did not actually want to play them and they were totally different that, that was sold to me. So anyways, some players pay and they pay a lot, but this is not a gambling industry where, where you know, people are having significant problems and they can't cover for their, you know, they don't, they, they're spending their mortgages or or their, you know, livelihood on, on games. Like when we talk about whale behavior, I think most of the uh, whale behavior is actually from, from people who can actually afford to that type of a behavior. And if a kid ends up spending or somebody ends up spending who shouldn't be spending, they get that money back. So I don't know. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's, it seems a little bit weird because the value per hour is so much higher than arguably in any other form of entertainment in free-to-play games. So uh, definitely very hard stance against free-to-play gaming. Um, I don't know what they're trying to stop, but I think there's much more, you know, dangerous things that need to be stopped than free-to-play games. What's your take, guys? I don't even know if I want to go here. I, 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 I just think that, like, I don't know if all free to play is uh, is all that clean in terms of what <laughs> the what kind of user behavior they 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 push. So uh, I can understand, but then I would say the same thing about gambling, right? So like if if you have legalized gambling, then why are you bothering try and mess with free to play mechanics? Because gambling is, is probably the worst of of betting. Betting is legalized in the UK. Like when you yeah. when you're in UK, there's betting parlors everywhere. You should be betting on every single, like, that's why people play soccer. It's a boring ass game, but when you can bet for it, that's, that's why they like watching it. Yeah. That's, that, that's, again, that's, I'm a little bit surprised this is coming out of the UK. Like if it was, you know, some of the smaller, like older European countries, the, um, uh, I can't, 
totally blanking on them. Let's say Belgium. Belgium, right? Belgium. The old <laughs> Europe, right? But, they, but it was places like Belgium. They're the ones that have kind of like made a stance against this sort of thing. But UK is like pretty permissive when it comes to these sorts of things. So it's kind of interesting that they're, they're, they're going down this road. But yeah, we'll see what it ends up happening with it. I don't think there's much that they could do because, but then again, like, I think it's a little bit more, um, what's the right word? It's easier for them in the UK and Europe to pass legislation against this sort of thing than it is in, in the US. So it'll probably happen there first. So interesting. Yeah. I just, um, coming from a developer perspective, um, the landscape for, for compliance in all of these different regions, um, in all the different rules is coming in you know, a patchwork of, of complications, right? Um, like think of yourself as a small indie developer and wanting to release a game globally, like you did, you know, five, 10 years ago, um, having to handle legislation differences between Japan, UK, US, yeah, right. And then constantly changing requirements. It's not going to be easy. You almost need full-time support for these things. And very likely we're going to see a lot of say third-party services that are offering backend services that help you navigate this stuff. Because now you think for just operating a simple shop um, to maximum efficiency and mobile free play, you obviously are still going to want to have best offer, highlighted offer. Um, now you have to handle whether you need to show a dollar value, whether you don't, whether you're allowed to put things on sale. And of course, this is just a self-regulatory agency. We'll see how much um, this turns into actual law and how much they can actually enforce. Um, but it would be a gigantic pain in the ass to be able to handle this um, and different legislation in different countries. Yep. Well, I think that's it. Eric, you didn't have any specific news you wanted to cover. You need to play a little bit more New World to to be able to really dissect that game. <laughs> I, I don't know when I'm going to get into it, but I, I'm playing it. I'm actually, I'm playing it. At what do you mean you're... <laughs> that's with the click 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 clicking okay yeah. shit. oh is that what's that sorry yeah, yeah you gotta you, you beat your bike when you're when you're screaming at kids yeah <laughs> all right so eric needs to go back to play new world adam needs to be needs to be doing whatever adam is doing in in, in canada <laughs> what am i doing yeah, 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 yeah. adam is, is playing some interesting games every time you post on the slack group you're like has anybody played and you mentioned some interesting game and nobody really hasn't and and it's like, that's it. Yeah, like it's, it's, I play Deathloop. It's like the number one console game currently. I don't know. Like it, it's, I don't know. My review of Deathloop is this, is that, um, very, very well reviewed game. I came in extremely excited. Personally, I'm a huge fan of roguelike kind of games like Slay the Spire. And I, I love Returnal. So I came in to, to, to Deathloop assuming that it would be like that, um, based on the reviews. And it wasn't, um, it actually ended up in a situation where it feels like it's kind of like it's dishonored, but, um, they just have this time loop element, but because costs are so little and you loop so little when the time loop actually happens, you know, kind of removes the potential of really interesting design decisions or, or decisions as a player for going between these time loops, like which weapon do I take? Right. Um, and, and having really meaningful, um, deaths. So. For me, it was kind of a, uh, a letdown, but yeah, I, I will continue really? to play indie games, premium games. Yeah. Yeah. That, I'll still play to the end, to be honest, but I'm doing it slightly begrudgingly. Huh. Um, but I do really like, like the, the shooting in it feels great. Obviously 
Bethesda is doing an extremely great job with their studios and how they build these types of things. But, you know, I, I just, I just I'd not feel like a 90 meter good again. It's so ironic because I, I think I'm like the opposite viewpoint. I'm like the way it plays where it's not so penalizing, where if you, if you, if you die, um, I like that part. What I don't like, I don't like the setting. I just, I, you know, Bioshock did it really well with this, I don't know, cross between not cyberpunk. What do you call it? Like, um. Damn, I always forget the setting, but anyway. Like mid, uh, mid-century, but like you, you swap that with like underwater or above the, above air. Yeah, I don't know. Bioshock did it well, but uh, Dishonored and, and this game, I just I just can't get into the world, right? And I, it just, it's off-putting to me. Um, and that's why I probably will keep playing, but not because... I, actually, I like the fact that they dumbed down that mechanic and not make it so um, punitive, you know? But I guess it just feels like every single time loop, all it is is there's four different levels that are have four different weather combinations for them each, right? Like one's at night, one's during the day, one's in snow, one's you know, right. at noon, and then slightly different enemy combinations at each one. So it becomes actually like a really, like from a developer standpoint, really cost-effective way to do a premium game. Um, but from a player perspective, I'm like, uh, I just feel like you're asking me to retread the same thing over and over again. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. But yeah, it did get reviewed very well, and I did pick it up. Thinking because it's super unique, they, they're great for them for 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 pushing this. I guess I I just came in with an expectation in my mind. You're you're a person that wants you know to win ninety percent of the time. That's why you play MMOs, and I'm a person that wants to to lose you know fifty percent of the time, and that's why I play Dark Souls and Demon Souls and stuff. Yeah, right, right. That's funny. All right, man. All right. Well, well, we'll see you when we see you. We're uh, all talking NFTs this week. That's like the yep. big soup du jour. Yeah, so, uh, we'll have to report yeah. back. True. Episode with Sky Mavis CEO, so Axie Infinity CEO coming out sometime probably next week. So we are talking in NFTs, and thanks everybody for reaching out to help me with NFTs. Um, I was kind of half joking, but you got me serious. So, anyways, <laughs> so, so uh, everybody have a great rest of the week and catch us next week at prime time in your headphones. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody.